Welcome back to the Cast of Us, an untitled HBO The Last of Us podcast for episode five, Endure and Survive, directed by Jeremy Webb and written by Craig Mazin. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Merchant. I was just checking my Chris Gain and uh, just turning it up <laughs> a little bit and uh, ready love to it, go. Love it. Uh, we're a little late on this one, Matt. Yeah. But understandably yeah. so. Uh, you know, you just got back from vacation and I'm slowly starting to pulled a fast one on sickness. us, Eric. So, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, this is the Super Bowl's fault, basically. This is what we're yeah, coming down yeah. to. <laughs> so, here's the thing, everyone. We appreciate you if you are listening or watching this right before probably episode six, because we're doing a double episode, a Super Sunday on February 19th. Sunday? We're, doing episode, <laughs> we're doing episode five, not in one episode, but we're going to do this episode, episode five, which covers last week's episode. We are a week late. Um, but then we will have episode six up at our normal time, which is 10 p.m. Eastern, um, right after HBO's The Last of Us airs on podcast services and YouTube, one-stop shop on Letterboxd, Untitled underscore movies. Um, yeah, we're a little bit late. Uh, I was on vacation. We pre-recorded one episode and we're like, you know what? I get home on Sunday. Uh, we can record Sunday afternoon and we'll have it up at our regular time at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and then midway through my vacation, uh, it was announced that HBO was putting up the episode early on HBO Max because of the Super Bowl. So it aired on Friday if you have HBO Max or Crave here in Canada, and then it aired on Linear TV on HBO on Sunday night during the Super Bowl. So we did miss that. Uh, and then due to some, you know, Eric's getting over cordyceps, I'm dealing with my own cordyceps in my leg. Um, there's just different things going on this week that we got a little bit delayed with everything. So double episode Sunday, we're covering episode five and and survive right now on this episode and then we'll have a brand new episode for episode six kin uh which will drop at 10 p.m eastern on february 19th so as you're listening to this it's either already up or it's going to be up in a few hours uh eric that being said uh it's nice to be home it's i'm excited to talk last of us again it's been a little little too long i've watched these episodes now i feel like three four times each uh so i'm excited to kind of talk about this yeah, and it's it's interesting that you you know you have to kind of go back to them one way. It's intriguing because again we've talked about you know that first watch being incomplete to a certain degree with the effects, and then when you go yeah. back and rewatch some of them when they've been updated, and then you see you know the final version, it is very fulfilling and knowing that okay, this is you know you've seen you know, the before and after of, of something that's uh, kind of been fun. Yeah. Cause like I, this episode especially probably has the most special effects and has the biggest kind of action sequence of the whole season. So, um, that first version we saw was a little rough around the edges with special effects, but it was nice to kind of see that final version. And this was one of the ones that I actually watched on crave in like full 4k because you know it was already out by the time um nevis and i got home from vacation and i watched it with her and um i can't wait to watch this series on 4k blu-ray when hbo drops that because like i've been watching like piecemeal the unfinished versions our screeners with watermarks and they're only 1080p i've watched some episodes in 4k on crave so like i'm excited to sit down once it's all over and it's released on 4k blu-ray and just kind of like power through it again because you know it's a depressing ass show every week i feel like 
I'm crying with my wife watching this, but um, it's definitely rewatchable because I've watched each episode now two, three times because we meticulously take notes to talk about it on this show. But um, I guess we'll just get right into it, man. How did you feel of episode five of The Last of Us? Yeah. So basically to sum this episode up for every small victory, there's an even greater loss. Lamar Johnson and Kevon Montreal Woodard's resilient performances epitomize the unwavering devotion we have to the people closest to us. Yeah, man, I, um, it's a great episode. Um, like I said, probably the biggest action set piece in the entire episode. I feel like it wonderfully, wraps up Kathleen's story and Henry and Sam's story in, in in like just two very tight episodes. I'm amazed at how much this show can it's so interesting because we talked about like a lot of the Disney stuff on Disney Plus, right? Like how there'll be nine episodes or six episodes in a, a season of a Marvel thing. But I feel like single episodes in those feel like almost sometimes nothing happens where I'm always amazed in the last of us, especially like how much they can get through in just two episodes and how much depth they can give characters, how much backstory they can give characters, how you can have a complete kind of Henry and Sam story, basically in this just one episode, just like we had Bill and Frank's the other one. And you're heartbroken and 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 ripped apart by the end and you fall in love with these characters and then you know lose them and it's just um I'm so impressed with the show and and you know being a fan of the game the differences which we'll go through when we do the step by step breakdown but I the differences in the depth they give Henry and Sam's story with all of Kathleen's stuff in, in Kansas City because that stuff's not in the game. So the more we get of that and that whole sequence with the sniper, which is very much from the game, but the, the way they twist that to have that kind of horde breakout from underground um, was we just got a bloater. wild. <laughs> yeah, and, and we got a bloater for the first time, right? So you're starting to see those different variations of the infected. It starts with the runners, then they turn into clickers, and then you get the bloaters, and then we'll get even you know maybe not even in this season but maybe next season the different variations there's stalkers and there's um something called the rat king but it's not <laughs> that's in last of us 2 stuff but like um i just like seeing those different variations and and that bloater is absolutely brutal in this episode and i think that whole action set piece the little girl um clicker i think was was fantastically done and um you know and then yeah henry and sam just like absolutely tearing your heart out by the end of it. It just like, you know, they changed a lot of that too. Like Sam in the game, um, is not deaf. Um, uh, so that's completely different, but the, you know, the nuts and bolts of that whole relationship is very similar to what it is in the game of them going in the tunnels and seeing that underground kind of, um, community that was there there's a little hint at a character named ish which you learn about in the game through notes of what he was doing down there and like um there's just so much world building and, and storytelling in these episodes and i'm just like constantly you know impressed with the, how they so faithfully adapt the game but then completely subvert your expectations by adding all the kathleen stuff changing pittsburgh to kansas city and making that all kind of work so i just think it's a, a another great episode uh, another one where you're just like i think each week is just not even a therapy session when people go and watch this but i've cried like almost every week with my wife watching this show and um you know it, it's 
fun at times, but then also horribly depressing, but then hopeful at times. It goes back to that original question uh, that you brought up, I think, right in our first review is like, is this a, you know, an optimistic show or or a pessimistic show kind of thing, right? Or And, and it's, I think, a little bit of both. I stick with that. But um, I think the more characters we meet, the more characters that die, it becomes kind of pessimistic. But then everything Joel learns from these experiences and Ellie as well, I think, is that optimistic stuff where each one of these guest stars have absolutely crushed their episodes and have done so much in the one or two episodes that they're in. And they all serve Joel and Ellie's story, right? Like, um, I talked to my wife and they're like, why do they always need to kill these, kill these characters off? And I go, I don't think they need to, but this is a very bleak world that all these characters live in. And you're very lucky if you don't die. Right. And, um, and I feel like, you know, that loss that Joel and Ellie experiences through their journey across the United States. And like every, you can see in those moments that with Pedro Pascal's performance of, you know, reading the note from Bill, uh, in, in the Bill and Frank episode or in this moment, like the conversations he has with Henry in the underground and, and when Henry reveals why he did what he did to try to save Sam and things like that. And, you know, the whole bad, am I a bad guy conversation and then losing them at the end and with Henry having to shoot his own brother and then ultimately killing himself is because he had nothing left after that. And he did this horrible thing, but he, he did it to protect Ellie, right? Like Henry didn't know that Ellie was in fe- or could be immune to uh, the virus. So he, uh, to the fungus. So he, he has to shoot his own brother to protect Ellie and like, and he can't live with that and he has nothing. And all of that I think serves Joel and Ellie's um, story while still telling you really deep and emotional uh, stories from these side characters. So like, I think that's always what constantly impresses me each week. So I think another fantastic episode. I don't know if you have anything to add, Eric, before we go into this. Yeah, stuff. It, it's it's a mirror reflection of those relationships and the duality of it. I think, you know, like it's been talked about a lot, but you see in this episode specifically, you know, there's always kind of this dual or, or, or you know, two character play by play a two hander with Joel and Ellie and with Sam and Henry and even Kathleen and uh, Jeffrey Pierce's character. So, you know, there's, there's a lot. Original Tommy. The original Tommy. So there's a lot going on there thematically and, and the symmetry of it is interesting. And then to your point before where, you know, there's a lot of groundwork being laid throughout this entire series that the past, present and future, you know, narratively speaking, the connections there and even just subtle hints that might pay off in a later episode are so rewarding in how they fulfill a character's arc or give more insight to the world in which they live in. And even just looking at this episode and how it recontextualizes the last one and how we Mm -hmm. see this episode from the perspective you know the last episode from the perspective of henry and sam this is basically their episode and you know they become joel and ellie for a moment and the lead characters like bill and frank so you know you're now seeing the last episode again repeat itself but now from a new perspective and i, I love think that too. with that it kind of adds more to the last episode because we were talking about this with that episode where, you know, if you were to call 
any of these episodes filler, maybe that last episode kind of would be because it's 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 a lot of setup. But now yeah. with the payoff with of the payoff, it, yeah. you need the two episodes. You need them together in order to create one. And again, that duality of the two episodes, the two-hander, uh, which is just really well done and just very considered in how it moves not only the story along, but the characters. As, as Again, as you mentioned with how Joel is both pessimistic and pragmatic because he's lived in this world for so long where Ellie still shows signs of enthusiasm or interest in the world around her and the environment. It doesn't necessarily see doom and gloom all the time. And Mm -hmm. even with the trust people too, right? (laughs) Yeah. Or or even with just the way that she wants to learn about the world and those kind of things, I think matter in a story like this, because again, it is a lot to take in every week and watching this episode, you know, you watched it three times. I've watched it twice. It is a lot to literally endure. Um, I think. And, and, and when you're watching it, it's, it's an amazing piece of, 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 of filmmaking. Um, if, if anybody is interested in, in the cinematography and the visuals of this episode or in the last couple episodes, I highly recommend following uh, Eben Bolter's uh, yeah. Twitter account uh, because he is posting all these amazing, not only screenshots. Lighting breakdowns and like different it, things. And like, it's, yeah. it's a tutorial in, in, in this show and it's it's so well done. So it makes me so jealous. I'm like, him. man, I, I want to work on the second season so bad. I know that would mean that we probably couldn't do a show like this. <laughs> but yeah. like or maybe we could i don't know we could but be the like, second it, official it, last of us podcast I'm like, <laughs> at least even or, or whoever's listening if anyone from the last of us show is listening if you could somehow get eric and i to come on the set that's all we want <laughs> like yeah. i just want to see a little bit of this being made in calgary because like it is uh it, it's gorgeous but brutal and and um yeah his, his breakdowns on um on twitter have been fantastic um he's been great uh, all right, let's get into it, Eric. Let's do a you know scene by scene breakdown of what happens in episode five. It ends how it ends. There's that's not what the episode's called, but we'd like to start these things with a quote. Uh, no cold open again. They've kind of gotten rid of that. Um, they only did that with kind of the setup of the um, outbreak in those first couple episodes. So that's a continuing theme. No cold opens anymore. Um, so after the wonderful credits, which you should never skip. Um, <laughs> we begin with kind of the rebels taking over the Kansas City uh, quarantine zone. Uh, we see Fedra being kind of murdered and dragged into the streets in absolutely uh, brutal ways. Um, you can see kind of uh, people being shot and beaten and and hung and just like just chaos in the streets of Kansas City as it's being quote unquote liberated uh, from Fedra. Um, the rebels then patrol the streets looking for Fedra collaborators. Um, we then see the man and the child uh, from the last episode that we saw um, at the very end, the stinger. Um, the man, which we know as Henry, I guess I don't have to you know, read it in that way. We've all seen the episode, hopefully. So uh, Henry's talking in sign-, sign language to the young boy that they have to lay low and get out of there. Um we then, Eric, at any point, please cut me off if you want to talk about any scene or else right. I'm just going to Well, Matt, going. I'm going to tell you to shut up right now because <laughs> the one thing we do need to mention, uh, this is written by Craig Mazin and directed by Jeremy Webb. 
I did say that earlier. Oh, okay. Well, then I was not listening. (laughs) It was during my intro. I said it, so no worries. Um, So how (laughs) fucking dare you? Um, So then we cut to Kathleen, who enters like a detention camp and interrogates a group of uh, Fedra uh, collaborators that ratted out on their neighbors for food and supplies. Um, She's holding them all prisoner. Um, she mentions to them that no one has to die if, as long as they, you know, they'll get a trial and they'll do their time for their crimes, uh, against kind of, you know, these rebels. Um, she says, uh, that she wants them to know where Henry is. So she's basically interrogating them saying, if you know where Henry is, um, you need to tell me, um, she threatens, uh, she tells, I said she tells Tommy, but she tells Perry, I think is the <laughs> character's name. Yes, um, yep. she, Kathleen tells Perry to kill them. They, a, a man speaks up and says, whoa, 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 and says Henry is with Edelstein. Edelstein is the doctor that we met in the previous episode. So everything Played in this moment is taking John place. Gets. Yeah, so John gets, uh, uh, as Edelstein, we know that he is now dead, but these are flashbacks to what happened leading up to those moments. Um, Kathleen's surprised that Edelstein is a collaborator. Um, she says, oh, he, at least he was a lot more discreet than you fucking idiots, which I think is a great line. Um, <laughs> and delivered by Melanie um, Linsky in almost not a comedic way, but there is a sarcastic kind of sense of humor. And even this, this scene, yeah. I think I, I wrote down, um, it reminded me of, um, the red scare and McCarthyism and communism and people, ratting out on each other in order to survive or not be, you know, blacklisted in a way. And it kind of feels a little bit like that in, in terms of, you know, dealing with the political strife of the 1950s. And so it's almost weirdly cyclical that it's coming back again, but history repeats itself. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially put in these times. Yeah. Um, so a man, that man says that Henry's held up somewhere. Um, Kathleen calls him a rat, which I think is funny because she he ultimately does uh, what she wants, and then she goes, "I shouldn't be surprised. You're you're a rat." Um, Kathleen then argues with Perry uh, whether they should look for Henry right away. Um, basically, she says he's her first priority, not her like fifth priority. I think that's this conversation here. So. Um, she goes, are we really going to, Perry goes, are we really going to put them on trial? Um, and she goes, of course not. She's like, uh, she's like, when you're done, just burn the bodies. It's faster. So she's absolutely ruthless. Just basically going, no, we're just going to murder them all and and burn their bodies. And you're like, Jesus Christ, woman, <laughs> like, holy hell. Okay. Um, we then cut to, uh, Henry and Sam as they make their way into an apartment building, um, we realize this is the one from the prior episode that they, um, uh, that Kathleen and Perry, uh, find, right. It's in the previous yes, episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it. a, yeah. it's 11 days before, right? Like that's yes. kind of like where the, episode... did they, did they give us? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I wrote about, that yeah, down it, 11, 11 it days is, prior. Cause we do get, we get 10 days later, uh, yeah. after this sequence. Yes. So, yeah. uh, we realize it's the same building that Kathleen and Perry, found empty uh in the previous episode uh dr edelstein is the one who um hides sam and henry in the attic of this building or kind of like the upper level um uh henry uh has a little bit of fun i wrote down they do not have any ammo um so 
the doctor then has a um a conversation with Henry about what's going on and how much uh you know food they have and different things like that. Uh Sam has one of those uh I forget what they're called, but that those toys that you could write on and rip up and then It's uh, not an etch a sketch, but it's too. kind yeah. of in that zone again, you know, anybody who comments afterwards can let us know but um Correct this, yeah 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 and like again i forget like this, the name i had one too you could write on it and you yeah. pull up and then it, and then it which cleans I think is off a great, and then it's yeah 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 and it, it's it, a great it, use for this character totally and and you know like it's it's important that this scene the way it plays out because you have edelstein you know giving henry some advice on how to talk to sam about being afraid because sam is interpreting how henry feels right and and if he's afraid then sam will be sam is exactly the thing that i wrote down so then henry goes over to sam and tells him that they're going to be safe and that he's not scared and that he needs sam to be strong um i also wrote down super sam because he does all these comic book yes uh, it's great so um you know, that's the moment where Henry then jokes that the place is very drab looking and it looks ugly and he needs Sam to help uh, make it look nicer. So he gives him a giant bag of crayons and they start writing on the walls. And we know from the previous episode, I think there were all these drawings of like superheroes on the wall and stuff like that. So then we're about to see that. So then we get a flash that says 10 days later. And uh, we know in that previous conversation that Dr. Edelstein and Henry had that they had about 10 days worth of food or 11 days worth of food. Um, so we know that they are running out of food at this moment. So um, Henry and Sam are still hiding out in the attic and you can see now that Sam has decorated the attic with lots of paintings and drawings. Um, Sam, you know, goes over to Henry and says like, you know, I'm hungry. Can we eat that last? Uh, I think they have like one can of, Beef stew. Chili or whatever's left. Beef stew. Thank you. Um, it was an left. important so, note I wrote. <laughs> yeah, beef stew. It's not It's not Chef Boyardee this time. Um, but uh, Henry kind of goes like, we have to kind of ration it. We can't eat it right now. I know you're hungry, um, but we kind of need to save it. Uh, Henry then looks at the windows to see kind of the rebels going through the street. They're going door to door to try to find. This is when, you know, Kathleen sends them out and they're tr- kicking down doors to try to find um where henry uh and sam are um sam asks if the doctor is coming back and henry goes uh, yeah yeah he's he's gonna come back um and then basically you know later henry wakes up sam after sam has been taking a nap or sleeping um and says the doctor isn't coming back um he says that they don't have any food and that they need to leave and he knows the rebels pattern so they can uh sneak out then you get this heartbreaking moment when Sam asks if they killed the doctor and then uh, Henry doesn't want to lie to Sam. So he goes, yeah, they they probably killed him. Um, so they hug and they look around at Sam's paintings. At this moment, you can tell Henry realizes that Sam is very scared in this moment. And he probably remembers that conversation with Edelstein about being like, you know, you can't show that you're scared because then it'll make this kid scared. So he tells sam to lightly close his eyes and then you get this nice moment where he paints kind of which we do see at the end of last episode when he's holding the gun to joel right he has the red across his eyes so we now see uh that moment where henry paints kind of a superhero mask on 
Henry paints that on Sam's face, um, which I think is is wonderful. You can see like he he shows that he's a superhero and he can get through these these moments. Um, I, I want to say as well with being yeah. in that attic for as long as as they were a, a great way and a, a very subtle and clever way of conveying, you know, an amount of time passing by is the drawings on the wall and, and how you know the and... the lack of food or you know the 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 diminishing number of of cans that they have left and i think like that's just a very subtle and clever way to show like okay it's been you know this many days since they first arrived there and like obviously you can see you know on the walls all these drawings and it also will play out again a little bit because of the the daycare that they go to later on and you know the yeah. drawings on the wall there so again there's thematic symmetry throughout this entire episode that really um is very thought out but doesn't feel intrusive to the narrative and kind of showy they then uh head downstairs um and they're about to kind of leave the building and then they hear a car crash and shooting um so at this moment you know henry says to sam that they're shooting outside and that to get low henry looks outside and then we see what eric mentioned earlier the other perspective of the previous episode where henry is watching the shootout between Joel and the Kansas City Rebels. Sounds like a football team um, uh, across the street. So, um, yeah, I love these kind of moments, too, where you're seeing um, something from a previous episode or something that happened from a different vantage point, from a different character. Like the movie um, vantage was, point. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. Or Lost, also with Matthew Fox. Um, you get a lot of that. Um, so you see it from Henry's standpoint. You even see that Joel looks over at one moment and might've seen Henry across the street before he ducks down. Uh, Sam asks what's happening. Henry answers that they need a new plan. Um, so time passes and they sneak around in a dark building. Um, you, they step on glass, which at this moment you should start to go, Oh, okay. I know what they're leading up to now. Uh, based on the last episode. And then now the timelines converge where we get the moment of Henry and Sam holding up uh, Joel and Ellie at gunpoint as they wake them up in the middle of the night. Um, so I love that in, in movies and TV. Like I like the kind of, you know, obviously bringing back Lost again. I love a flashback. I love a different perspective and and those kind of things. I love timelines converging, conversing, convert, conversion, converging, converging, um, uh, converging. Thank you, Eric. Um, the pills I'm on are making me loopy. Everyone, I'm sorry. <laughs> and they're prescribed by a doctor, not recreational. Um, and. I love the converging timelines and seeing it from two different perspectives and then leading up to the same moment. So I kind of love that we spent the first act of this episode getting to that moment, which was the stinger or the cliffhanger at the last episode. So it introduces you to that those characters, kind of gets you to understand where they're at at that moment. And then it's a clever cliffhanger in the last episode. Uh, immediately, Sam, uh, sorry, Henry says that uh, they don't want to hurt them, that they want to help them. Um, and he goes, we didn't do anything. Uh, we didn't hurt you. We'll put our guns down and you guys don't do anything to us. Um, Joel says everything is fine, uh, but clearly doesn't believe that, which I think there's a good moment there between like um, 
Ellie and Joel and Henry, where like Joel is clearly pissed or upset about all this. And, you know, and Ellie's like, just fucking like, what are you doing, man? Why'd you say it like that? Um, Which I think is really funny. Um, And basically he reluctantly kind of um, lets them kind of do their thing. You can see that Henry and Sam are still holding them up. They don't put their guns down. Uh, but they introduce themselves as the most wanted men in Kansas City. But it looks like Joel and Ellie are a close second. Um, at this point, we we now they put their guns down and we cut to them sharing some food around a lantern. Um, they're eating. Is it beef jerky or chocolate or what are they having? It looks I think like it's, either it, a chocolate I, ball or, or bar. A chocolate ball. Or <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I think it is either jerky or, or chocolate. I mean, it. It might be jerky, but I think like, again, from the perspective of Sam, like he seems to really like it. But again, when you're starved, you'll, you know, obviously. Oh, yeah. When you're eating 20 year old canned food. Yeah. Then, um, yeah, anything would taste amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Joel, then you can see, you know, even after all of this, like Joel, there is some like a sympathetic kind of like good person in there, even if he's done some bad shit or he doesn't trust anyone because he, he gives some of his extra food to uh, Sam. Yeah. I think to children specifically, he's more sympathetic or, or adolescents because again, like he, you know, we've seen this already and we'll, we'll see it more as the series does move on is that he there is the, the humanity of the character. He sees people, the children specifically, and feels bad that they have to grow up in this time period and that they shouldn't have to yeah. deal with the things that they're dealing with. And I think also with this scene, just going back quickly to um, yeah. when Henry and Sam kind of have the guns on them, I think it's important in looking at Joel's character in that moment because, again, we're seeing the weariness and sort of the the wear and tear of this character you know, starting to really come through where he's not as alert or sharp as maybe he once was. And we saw that in the last episode, you know, with the young guy who kind of, um, you know, got the best of him and Ellie had to come in and and save him in, in the laundromat. So, you know, we're seeing these moments play out in a way that feels important to the character and it's helping move the story along, but it's specifically building on who Joel is now. And maybe, you know, he's a former version of himself because when you get older, you, you change and physically, you know, your body begins to slow down and, you know, you see that in just him waking up and asking if he can kind of sit up when he's lying down, like just those little Mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And this is multiple times where he's told Ellie, like, don't worry about it. Like, I'll, I'll, I got this. And then he lets someone sneak up on them. Right. So because of it, whether it's the hearing they mentioned, or like you said, just the wear and tear on his body as he's a 56 year old man in this show. Right. I think he mentions. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, uh, understand that with some of the conversations we had before we started, uh, recording as you get older and I'm only 34. Um, Anyway, so then uh, basically Ellie asks how old Sam is. Um, He's eight years old and Ellie introduces herself. Uh, She punches Joel in the leg and makes him introduce himself to them as well. Uh, Joel immediately goes, okay, you didn't kill us. We didn't kill you. I think we're all good here. Can we just go? Consider it a Um, win. (laughs) 
yeah, consider that a win, uh, which I think is great. Um, Henry then says that he knows a way out and that he can help them. Uh, this is when they go upstairs and take a look at the overlay, like the basically at the lay of the land on the, at the upper levels of the building to kind of look out into Kansas City. And it's during the um, day, and it's in kind of a yeah. boardroom. Um, yes, and 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 uh, Henry refers to it as Killer City, which I think is kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, that is actually kind of interesting. Uh, they talk about how Casey Fedra were monsters and that they raped and murdered people and tortured people. Um, and like even Joel says he heard that Kansas City Fedra was one of the worst and just were awful, awful people. Um, Henry uh, reveals that, you know, they overtook uh fedra 10 days ago and and overtook the quarantine zone and um which is something we see when joel and ellie first get into the city right they look over and they're like surprised that the quarantine zone is abandoned and stuff like that um henry then reveals at this point that you know he isn't fedra um he's worse he says he's a collaborator and joel immediately kind of gets pissed and says that he doesn't work with rats so you know that there's some history there with you know, in Joel's line of work and in the 20 years we didn't know during this uh, outbreak of how people viewed collaborators, especially in quarantine zones. They um, seem like the worst of the worst. Um, but Henry says that they need each other and that they will work together. Um, and I like the way Henry- that Lamar Johnson delivers that line. Like he's like, today you do. Like it's like, it's, yeah. it's aggressive. He's like, I don't work with rats, right? When he yeah. goes, well now, or, yeah, today you do. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that is a really great little piece of acting where like, it's just like the line could have been delivered in so many ways, but it, it it's just like that kind of like, well, you know what? assertive but like confident and like but like a guy who is probably intimidated by joel but like also knows what he has and knows what he he needs from joel and i I agree with you i think that's just a very assured acting and just a great moment um henry says that he needs joel to help get out alive but and then he says the line i show you the way you clear the way um which i think is great as well uh, we also now see Ellie and Sam who are sitting kind of at the large boardroom table and they're playing around and laughing together, um, which is a very sweet moment where uh, Henry looks and he's like, I haven't seen that in in Sam in a, in a very, very long time. So it's just kind of this nice moment where you just see, like you said at the beginning, Eric, like the and why Joel is sympathetic towards children is like they grew up in this world, but they're not as maybe pessimistic or, or, or view it in the same way as people like, um, Joel and even Henry, who maybe Henry must've been very young at the, during the outbreak. Right. But yeah, but there's that maturity again where he's had to grow up and become almost basically Sam, Sam's father, you know, in a lot of ways. And, and like, again, like this scene really shows you that like, you know, once they've been able to establish a relationship you know henry is honest about that he's not somebody that necessarily is you know a murderer he the the guns aren't even loaded it's it's all for show for a lot of ways and they're just trying to survive and make it through and they need somebody like joel and ellie to a certain degree because they've dealt with 
you know, clickers, clickers and, 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 and the infected and they're kind of more the muscle, right? You know, it's, it's, it's brains and bronze coming together to get to the other side. And what's kind of fascinating yeah. about this scene is it's them planning their escape. And it kind of almost in this one moment becomes a heist movie where they're talking about how they're going to, you know, get through, through the, the tunnels rest of and the, get the city. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's when Joel finally agrees and asks him how they're going to get out. So Henry mentions that Kathleen and that she's the leader of the resistance. Um, he says the way out is to use the tunnels. There's maintenance tunnels throughout the whole city because the same developer, uh, built some of the, uh, uh, the buildings in the downtown area. So there's no subway or anything like that, but they build all these maintenance tunnels that go nowhere to eat fresh. Um, um, and then he goes, did you have notice something about the city? And then they go, there's no infected. Um, and then Henry explains that Fedra pushed all the infected underground about uh, three years ago. And that uh, that's why he needs a killer like Joel. Um, Just in Henry case they run Sam, into some. It, it yeah. Because uh, Joel kind of goes. Well, I was just going to go say ahead. that Henry says um, that his um, contact with Fedra when he was working for them said that they cleared most of the infected out. And that's where he's getting his information from. Yeah, because Joel is reluctant going like, how do you, there's probably a bunch of them down there. Like, why would we ever do that? And then he goes, well, that's what everyone thinks. And even Kathleen thinks that they're all down there. But he heard that there's only maybe a few scattered left and that they push them uh, out or somewhere else. Um, so then Henry turns to Sam and says that they're going to help them even before Joel agrees. Um, which I think is, is again, that assured kind of like, I know we need each other kind of thing, which I like. Um, we then cut to all four going into a bank of America to find the tunnels. Um, they head down a staircase into the maintenance tunnels. Uh, Joel tells Ellie to get her gun out and she looks pleased that he kind of trusts her to, um, use her gun, especially in a situation like this. Um, Henry mentions that, uh, her dad is a pessimist and they both go, I'm not her dad or he's not my dad kind of thing at the same time. Um, which at this point you can tell that they were starting to bond, but they're still very like Joel doesn't want to look at Ellie that way. It's still kind of that cargo thing that he's, he won't admit that he's starting to be a father figure to her and stuff like that. And he wants to make sure people know that like, she's not related to me. I'm not her dad. And she says the same thing, which I think is interesting. Um, they make their way through the tunnels cautiously. So all of this is, I haven't really talked about the differences between the game and, and the show, uh, a lot, but like, first off, they changed the location to Kansas city. I kind of already mentioned that Henry and Sam, uh, very similar to uh you know their their characters in the game i uh, uh sam um is not deaf in the video game uh, so that's a change that they made for the show um they also all this tunnel stuff is is ripped straight from the game it's slightly different than obviously what they're doing here because there's no kathleen in the game but like all of this is uh uh very accurate to what happens in the game so that's why i'm constantly impressed to being like well they add all this stuff and they make it feel like it is from the game but like a lot of it is brand new to it um so they head down into the maintenance tunnels they go through cautiously they come to an entrance that's all decorated with children's drawings much like 
uh, Sam's drawings in the uh, in the attic, like Eric um, mentioned, the juxtaposition there is really interesting. So um, Henry, no, sorry, Sam is going to go through the door, and then Joel kind of stops him and goes, "No, what are you doing? Like, uh, I'll go through first. Um, so Joel enters the room and discovers some, uh, like a daycare that people might have been hiding and living in, uh, underground. So like an underground settlements, uh, Joel mentions that he heard about this, that people went underground after the outbreak to kind of hide from the infected and to kind of, um, get away from the surface and get away from people. Um, if people who played the game, I already mentioned ish, this is where you get an ish reference. They show a drawing on the, uh, one of the boards there and it says like uh, like uh, protector daddy or or, or uh, father or something like that and it's, it has ish's name so ish i don't know if they'll ever adapt this story because i do think that if they ever do like a spin-off show they might do individual stories from you know basically tales from from you know the outbreak or whatever you want to call it uh, last of us factions is one name people throw around because that's what they called the multiplayer ishtar aspect of last of us um so basically ish is a character from the last of us video game that you never meet but when you go through these tunnels and see these underground settlements you learn his story through basically environmental storytelling so you pick up notes you read letters from ish you read basically things you find people infected and not infected and, and you find out what kind of happened to ish and these people that were living um underground and it even starts above ground where they're like it, it's this like long form storytelling not super long but you it, it, you could completely miss it if you don't pick up all these notes and read them in the video game. Um, but that's the kind of stuff in the game as you explore and you find things and find these notes. They're not necessary, but that's kind of the world building and the storytelling you get from some of that environmental stuff. So it's like a fun nod to that. And I I do think if they ever do a spinoff of this show, which I think they probably will because of how successful it is and you know how singular this story will be and they'll want to kind of expand on this world. Um, I do think we'll eventually get an anthology series, um, that basically takes, it's going to be like the Bill and Frank episode is per, a perfect kind of, um, backdoor pilot, um, for that show is just like, we can tell these one-off stories in this world that are either from the game, if from notes we found or, or things like that, or completely original stories, and they each can just be one episode, little mini movies that I think could be really great. So, anyways, side that was a side tangent, but I like. I want to also add to something as well because you mentioned it on the last episode, and I think it's important to maybe discuss is that um, you know when you're adapting from one medium to another, there are things you're going to leave out, or there are things that you're going to change, and maybe. Um, one version of something that maybe is similar or, or has some sort of comparison might be, you know, removed. Or again, you might be like, okay, maybe one is enough. You mentioned that in the game, there's a sequence where they go through a school, right? Yeah. It almost that's feels- in the Bill and Frank episode or uh, Bill and Frank's Bill section of the. Um, of the game i i wonder if maybe you know craig mazin and and neil Druckmann took that out because of the daycare kind of being somewhat similar of kind of a 
you know, um, a place where children go, a place of safety and innocence and kind of, you know, being deserted. And it's like, okay, well, if, if we want, it would probably take away from the Bill and Frank episode and kind of slow things down. But also with this episode, it kind of feels almost like that's making up for it. Yeah, I can see that the school in the video game isn't played out necessarily in the same way. It's more of like a an action set piece, I think, from my memory. I'm just saying more like, of the yeah, environment. But, I'm not saying necessarily. No, about, totally. Like, like yeah. I, I, I totally understand them cutting out the school section, even though there's like a a couple iconic moments and stuff like that in that section of the game. But like, um, I this is directly like if you look at when you go in to the video game in these moments, like the set design is ripped. It reminds me of the hotel moment in this series and a couple other things where it looks exactly like it does in the game. Like you're just like, Oh shit, they, they did this not one-to-one, but it just feels ripped uh, from the game. And I I completely agree that you have to kind of, you have to cut down somewhere. Right. And like a lot of the times they're cutting out more of the locations and sequences that have a lot of action just because in a video game, you kind of need that. Where here, the character moments and the environment moments are a little bit more important. So the school and the grand scheme of things, probably to your point of being similar with how the characters might react at those places. And like, no future spoilers, but we get more school stuff eventually too, right? So like, I think that's probably why you cut the other school moment out. It's just, uh, it was a high school that they go to earlier. But uh, I think this moment is great because you, you, it is that environmental storytelling, right? Like it's not like in the game where someone picks up a letter and reads Ish's story, but you kind of get it through the toys that are there, the drawings that are there, the, just the way that the environment is. And then you have like, you know, Ellie ask about what happened, I think. And then, you know, uh, Joel goes, well, someone might have not fought. There was a whole bunch of rules on the wall. I didn't screen like screenshot it to see what they all said, but basically you had to follow these rules. So an infected wouldn't get in and, and Joel just theorizes that, you know, someone didn't follow the rules and they probably all got infected and died. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, I, I do love this moment and it feels ripped straight from the game. This is when we also get, I think the first time we see Savage Starlight in the show, I, I believe, unless we saw Ellie with one earlier, I don't remember, but like um, Savage Starlight uh, ripped straight from the game. Um, this is interesting because they did change the fake video game that they play to be Mortal Kombat. So it is interesting that they kept the original comic book that they created um, for The Last of Us instead of making it some actual comic uh series especially because warner brothers has all the dc stuff they could have easily uh maybe done a dc comic or something like that but uh they go with savage starlight which i like and then ellie and sam share a moment about which issues they found so i like that as a little thing because in in the game savage starlight is a collectible that you get and you you find them and give them to ellie as you're exploring and she talks about like, oh, I have issue, blah, 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 blah. She's going through. So like, I like that they've included that here. That's where the endure and survive uh, um, the title of this episode comes from. Um, and then I love the bonding moments between Ellie and Sam here. Because even talking with my wife, Nevis, like leading into this episode, she's like, I'm not sure if I care about Ellie yet. She's like, it's not that I dislike her, but it's what we talked about at the beginning of, of it takes some time to kind of she's a teenager. She's snarky. Sometimes she is curious, but like, um, 
to really care about Ellie. I feel like in this episode, especially you see her relationship with Sam um, because all we've had her is with other adults, right? For the most part, like her interacting with Joel or, or Tess or, or, you know, other people that they've come across where her seeing her with another kid, that's not necessarily her age, but just how she reacts. She acts with Sam, another kid, I think really kind of brings, like, I don't know, makes you really start to care about Ellie, I think, in this episode even more so. Like, I already did at that point, but that might be from the game and different things. But I think, like, especially well, acting, a moment we get to later. She's yeah. acting more naturalistic with with Sam or or, or right. like her age. And, and I think when she's acting alongside, you know, Joel or Tess or any of the other adults that she comes into contact with, she's kind of giving her version of being a grown-up right and that's that kind of very put upon performative thing that kids do where it can be very precocious and a little bit kind of mannered in in that style but yeah you you begin to really appreciate uh the performance that bella ramsey is giving here because there is more to it than just simply a caricature even though again the frustration of those first few episodes of her kind of being the, you know, um, sort of comedic sidekick and having that kind of um, loud mouth kind of sarcasm or the quippiness of it um, does feel like it breaks some of the, the, the tone and the themes and takes you out of it a little bit. But then you begin to understand more of why she acts like that. And again, like you'll, you'll learn more as you move on, but this is the first time where you see some of that shield kind of coming down and you just see her as a kid again. And, and that is also really nice as well. And, and, and obviously you mentioned that with Sam earlier where he, he laughs and he has a moment of feeling like, things are normal again. Yeah, I love it. Um, so they, Joel wants to keep going, um, but then everyone kind of wants to wait it out a bit in the settlement um, because, you know, I love Ellie's line of there's shit to actually do here because there's like toys and different things <laughs> like that. So like uh, Joel reluctantly agrees as he usually does throughout this whole show. Um, and then Sam and Ellie are then playing soccer, which I love. There's like a little goal painted on the wall in there, which is straight from the uh, the game as well. Uh, Joel and Henry have a conversation where Joel apologizes for his rat comment because he's starting to look at Sam and Ellie uh, uh, playing together. And then he understands. He's like, I he's like, if you did it for him, like I understand kind of thing of, of why you might have done that. Um, Henry then opens up to Joel and says that he lied about never killing anyone. I forgot if we mentioned that moment earlier, but Eric, you brought it up a little bit where that's why he needed Joel. He's like, I've never hurt anyone. The most violent thing I've ever done was pointed a gun at you earlier, like kind of thing. Right. So that wasn't even um, Henry. Yeah. So he goes, Henry, uh, he talks to Joel saying that he lied about not killing anyone. He says he used to know a man, a great man you would follow anywhere. Um, and he says Sam got sick with leukemia and he couldn't get his medicine. So he had to trade that one great man. And that one great man was the leader of the Kansas city resistance. Kathleen's brother to Michael. get the medicine for Sam, Michael. Yeah. Or Jesus um, Christ. He then it goes, kind of feels like he is yeah. a Christ like figure, savior. right? Like yeah. the, the, the person yeah. who is going to, you know, potentially 
bring you know the 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 suffering and the needy you know up into the the realm of of where Fedra kind of the uprising begins but not in a a, a dark way you know like i mean yeah, some people like Kathleen's you, way yeah yeah i mean like again like it's it's almost there's an interesting thing After there the bathroom keep talking yeah absolutely where you've seen this before in movies and television and like even just thinking about like um, in historical aspects where you have political figures and how, you know, someone wants to do something one way and then you have another person wanting to do it another way. And the goal is still the same, but the way in which they do it is completely different. I mean, obviously I'm not trying to um, compare it in this way, but like something like, you know, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. And then, you know, that kind of being an inspiration for, um, you know, comic books with X-Men, with Professor X and Magneto, and that you have, you know, two sides of a coin wanting to do something for, you know, the people that, you know, that they are trying to help, you know, with civil unrest and civil, you know, injustice. And so when you see, or when you hear about, Michael kind of being more of a pacifist and then yeah. Kathleen's approach being more um, aggressive and violent and cruel. It kind of reminds you of, again, like that X-Men thing where it's like, uh, you know, you have Magneto Charles versus Professor X. Yeah, yeah. And they were kind of, they were based on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. That was kind of an inspiration for those characters. So again, you know, people might have the same goal in mind, but the way to get it is always different. And it just depends on the person. So you see that Sam was obviously, or Henry was very close with Michael um, and was part of this resistance. And you know, maybe even, we don't know if it's second in command or, or new enough, but like he was obviously very close to Michael um, and gave him up because, you know, with, Sam having leukemia um, and there wasn't barely any medicine. The only t way he could get it is to trade uh, Fedra for it. And the only thing that they wanted was that uh, basically that one good man. So then there's a, you know, a great conversation where, you know, Henry says he's a bad guy because he did a bad guy thing, even though it was to try and save the one that he loves. And I think that's important. So like, you know, if you bookmark that, cause I feel like, People who have played the game will see a lot of this stuff and maybe think it's a little bit overboard of how hard they're hammering home some things of like just the kind of when I don't want to say too much, but like it's just these things are important, I think are great character development. Like it's like what I mentioned in the letter that, uh, you know, from Bill to Joel, you can kind of see even from Pedro Pascal's performance, the way he's looking at henry and listening to what he said and just kind of like understanding what he went through and kind of learning from that and it goes back like if you look at it's like you fight for the ones that you love right like even if you think you're doing a bad thing it might it might feel selfish um but what else do you have in this in this very bleak world other than that that person that one person so you're not alone right and that comes back at the end of this episode as well and the um, betrayal as well i think also again going back to michael kind of being almost described as like a christ-like figure henry yeah. the way that he 
talks about his betrayal almost sounds like Judas. Judas, in a way, yes. and so you know, yeah. not to get too Christian or anything, but it does feel was a little lost. Bit, yeah, it does. Well, Another I yeah. Uh, uh, what was the the character's <laughs> name? Uh, the uh, Jack Shepherd, right? Like yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. With Matthew, a little Fox. on the nose. That whole show yeah. it ends in a church, and they're were they all dead? Well, a shepherd leading <laughs> his flock, right? Like that's <laughs> yeah. but but it does like that moment does as well have like a biblical connotation of like. Totally, um, you know the the Christ figure sa- being sacrificed or betrayed One by the, all. Yeah. the person who's closest to him, and then that Christ like figure also forgiving um, the yeah, person who betrayed we'll, him, which we'll get to in a little bit. But yeah, I, like I mentioned, great internalized performance from Pedro Pascal. I think in each of these moments, there's a lot of them where Joel, being a quieter guy, um, you you get a lot just from Pedro Pascal's face in a lot of these things that you can learn a lot from the character just by watching his kind of internalized performance uh henry then says to joel you might not be her father but you you were someone's and he realized that joel was a father at one point because he can tell how he acts with ellie and things like that um and at this moment you can tell anytime sarah is mentioned or joel being a father is mentioned he kind of shuts down so that's when he immediately kind of goes they've waited long enough and that they need to leave so i think that's like a consistent thing throughout too is like anytime someone brings up sarah or that joel was a father he kind of shuts back down because i think he just has such regret for that moment um so then we cut to kathleen and she's in an old bedroom I said game Tommy comes in who is Perry <laughs> um, and they haven't found Henry yet. Um, he uh, uh, Kathleen asks how Perry found her. Perry says, we talked to your mom, which I think is interesting like that. Her mom's just out there and, uh, and said she's probably here, which is we find out that it's Kathleen's old bedroom where she, which she shared with uh, her brother, Michael, when they grew up. Uh, she asks uh, Perry if he's ever gone back to his childhood home and he goes, fuck no, it's hundreds of miles away and not worth it kind of thing. Um, she tells a story about her brother, Michael, and when they were a child, uh, when when they were children, how he helped her through a thunderstorm and and kind of comforted her because she was always scared of the thunder and said like if they were in this bedroom in their house, it was just this wooden box and nothing could get them. Uh, if they were in this box, um, Kathleen mentions that he was such a beautiful person and, and mentions how she is not. So, um, like you said there, they build up Michael as being, you know, caring and cares about his sister and cares about other people and will do anything to comfort people. And he's like and, you, Matt, he's Kathleen, a mad of the people. Yeah. A mad of the people, a Mike of the people. Um, so, she says like she even knows that her brother would forgive Henry and she reveals that it's because he told her that he forgives Henry. Um, right before he was killed by Fedra in Fedra containment, uh, Kathleen had a conversation with him and uh, Michael says like, I understand and that I forgive Henry for what he did. Um, but Kathleen does not give a shit about what her brother says and she, all she wants is revenge. She says she doesn't care um, and that she's so much more ruthless than her brother. Um, Perry then goes, you know, your brother was a great man. We all loved him, you know, dearly and cared about him, but he didn't change anything. You did. Um, so I think that goes back to that, like kind of pacifist versus, you know, 
um, just the ruthlessness of Kathleen that like her brother was a great man, got everyone to follow them, but he never actually changed anything. He always just talked about it. Right. And then that her ruthlessness is the thing that kind of liberated Kansas city, even though it took her and the rest of the rebels being probably just as awful as Fedra was treating them. Right. Like they killed them in the streets. They did all these horrible things, but she actually got shit done. Um, which I think is interesting. And and Um, it's important, I think, as well with this scene and the last scene in terms of where they're set, because you have a childhood bedroom and you have a daycare. These are places of of innocence. These are places where they're supposed to be safe. And in these moments, you have these two guest stars, these two characters – who we've learned about in the last episode confiding in somebody else and telling their part of the story and giving you more insight into who they are, their character, character motivations, but also whether or not they feel remorse or guilt for what they've done. And after watching those two scenes back to back, you realize that, you know, what Henry did, maybe wasn't the best way of of going about it, but you understand that he was trying to get medication that Fedra had for Sam, who was suffering with leukemia. And, you know, Michael was somebody who sacrificed himself and, 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 and was willing to forgive. And you understand that Henry is acknowledging the mistakes he made with Kathleen. She knows who she is as a person and, her vengeance ultimately is the thing that does her in because in order to lead, you need to put your own personal agenda or vendetta aside. And we see in that first, in that, in that last episode, in episode four, that the, the, the uprising, that bubbling, you know, one up, one uprising leads to another, uh, the uprising of the people against Fedra. But now we're seeing the uprising of, uh the fungus you know and them not dealing with that and that's something that should have been their first priority as soon as when perry says right like she goes this isn't my fifth priority this is my first priority and that's ultimately their downfall even though they you know she led this uprising her focus on vengeance is what gets them all killed right and ruins basically their whole rebel group which you're done fucked up Kathleen. yeah in a moment so uh we're back now with the group in the tunnels they've made it to the other side sam asks uh why they can't use lights henry says that they don't want to draw attention but henry uh, also feels you know confident and happy that you know his plan worked and, and and tells them uh where to go uh ellie mentions that they are going to wyoming and joel looks incredibly annoyed that she mentions that to him um, which I think is just another funny moment. Uh, Ellie then, uh, in an even funnier moment, makes fun of Joel's gruffness. Kind of says like, "Oh, he always does this." He goes, "Ellie, you don't don't say anything." And then I go, and then he ultimately comes around. Um, a sniper then shoots at them out of nowhere, and they have to hide behind a set of cars. This is ripped striped from the game. This goes back to my comment in the earlier episodes with the shootout and and different things, or even the clicker sequence in the uh, museum in the second episode of like how well the show 
basically showcases action moments from the game, which we get quite frequently in the game, but in the show they're more spread out, but they do it in such a way where I remember this moment from the game where you're a sniper is shooting at you. You're with Ellie and you, you have to kind of get to this sniper to take them out as they're shooting at you and you have to sneak around the cars and get to him. And it plays out differently, obviously in a game, but it feels so accurately depicted in the way that it's shot of just the muzzle flash from the house way down and, and kind of things like that. So, um, uh, this is obviously now different than what happens in the game because like a lot of the stuff with Henry and, and Sam takes place in the tunnels in that tunnel sequence. And I'm not even 100% sure if this sniper moment happens with Henry and Sam. I don't think it does, but because this whole action sequence that comes up after this is obviously uh, not obviously is very new because of the Kathleen stuff and all that. That's all very, very new. But I'm trying to remember because how Henry gets bit, it must be similar. It must be the same. I, I I'm replaying last of us part two right now. And I just replayed last of us part one for like the third time, but it all kind of like blends together sometimes. But anyways, this sequence feels ripped straight from the game. So you have Joel telling them that they need to hide behind this car says he's a shit shot and he's not going to get them if they just hide and don't like leave the back of this car. Um, and then, you know, Ellie doesn't want Joel to leave her obviously. And then there's a great moment between them where, where Joel goes, do you trust me? And she shakes her head. Yes. So then Joel gets up, sneaks around the side of the house, um, goes down the street, goes upstairs as we hear gunshots from a room. Uh, an old man is sitting in a room with the sniper rifle. So Joel sneaks into the room, talks to the man, begs him. He's like, don't do it. He's like, begs the man not to do it. But then the man turns the gun on Joel and we hear again off screen again, which is something we talk about frequently both from probably a budget perspective and special effects thing of like you don't need to show every instance of violence it's just going to cost you more money or have to have digital blood or have a special effect and sometimes it's even more uh, intense if or, or you know when they show it off screen so again they show that joel shot uh shot this man off screen or they don't show it sorry it's always the um, aftermath that you see and it weirdly reminds yeah. you of something like Lynn Ramsey's you were never really here where you never yeah. see the violence occur. Like even when character, like with both, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, but with both Tess and Sam being bit, you don't see them yeah. get bit. And I think that's another form of that kind of like, Oh, we don't need to always show you. We can just show the aftermath of what happened. Nice for a better reveal in those moments too. Right? Like if you just see it happen, I don't think that's as interesting as, as yeah. you know, I also wrote out. though, and I think this is, this is important. Uh, sniper in Adam's family looking house. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It does it look like, like the Adam's house. family yeah. house. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, after Joel kills this man, he hears a woman's voice on the walkie-talkie that says that she's almost there. Anthony! Uh, we can get yeah. <laughs> Tony! <laughs> um, uh, says she's almost there. We realize that that's Kathleen's voice. Um, Kathleen and her rebels then come in and plow the fuck out of a bunch of cars, which is pretty dope. And you hear Joel yelling, run. 
to Sam, Henry, and Ellie. Um, so Kathleen says, like, that's why you guys are in front. So this one car that we've seen in previous sequences, it's a big, like, snowplow-looking truck thing that has, I forget what it says on the front of it, but um, it absolutely smashes through a bunch of cars to kind of plow those cars out of the way and uh, basically speeds towards Joel. No, sorry, speeds towards Ellie, Henry, and Sam. Um, so at this moment, Joel is shooting at the driver, uh, of the snowplow. Um, his Mr. gun is plow. jamming as, yeah, he's shooting at Mr. Plow. Uh, his gun is jamming. The sniper rifle's jamming. Uh, but he is able to get a shot off and, uh, smokes Mr. Plow right between the eyes. That's um, my name. That name again, <laughs> Mr. Plow. <laughs> so Mr. Plow plows now into a building, uh, one of the houses on the street, uh, it explodes, uh, blowing up the house and the car. Um, Kathleen and all of her men, including uh, uh, previous Tommy, uh, come out of the, the other cars and look for Henry. She has uh, Henry and Sam and Ellie pinned behind a car. Um, at this point, Joel is just kind of watching from the other building, not knowing what to do. Um Henry then reveals himself to Kathleen and says like, uh, I forget exactly what he says, but he says he'll come out if they, if she doesn't hurt the kids, I think is what he says. Um, he says, if you let the kids go, like I'll, I'll come out. And Kathleen says, no, sorry, I'm not going to do that. The girl is with the guy who killed Barry or whatever his name was. Um, and that wasn't his name. I forget the other guy's name, but the kid that Joel kills, um, and then she's like, and, you know, Sam's with you. So I, I you know, I, I'm not going to let them go. This moment, I think, is, Brian, is really great. Brian's where the, the character. Brian. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Poor Brian. We, <laughs> poor we Brian. forgot Brian's name. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, so uh, pour one out for Brian. Um, although he's probably a horrible, shitty person uh, if he's with Kathleen. Yeah. Uh, basically, Kathleen's absolutely ruthless in this moment. Says kids die all the time. Maybe Sam was supposed to die. Did he ever think about that? And then there's this great kind of back and forth where she goes like, like, do you really think like, is he worth everything? Like, is this one kid worth, you know, basically this entire resistance and this good man, basically that thing that, um, uh, Henry was struggling with, like, is he worth everything? And I put eye emojis there again, lock that one up. It's important, I think. And because to Henry, I think his brother is worth everything. And I think that's like, again, ultimately what this show is about is like, Yes, you might be able to help the bigger, grander scheme of things, but ultimately in this world, like, what do you have to live for? Um, and those aren't, you know, just because he he didn't give up Michael doesn't mean Michael would have liberated Kansas City and things like that, too. So there's all that doubt of like a maybe because of something versus what you have and and what you need to live to survive or have a life or who you care about or people who have potential like, you know, children, especially, um, even though they're in this shitty world. There's well, it's multiple, the next generation, right? Like it's, it's, but there's it's ways you can ones think- that are going to survive and endure. Yes, but then the the bigger picture of things, I think that's that nuanced, interesting conversation you have, right? Like, uh, yes, you might be uh, looking out for the future of these children, but what future do they have? And, and weighing that someone you love and care about versus 
the greater good in people's opinion, right? Like it's not an objective thing per se, because there is doubt on if Michael will do something and, and yada, yada, yada. But like, that's going to be, it's a super interesting conversation, which I think is like a theme throughout this whole series. Um, Henry comes out with his arms up and tells Ellie to grab Sam's arm and run. Um, Kathleen is about to shoot Sam. This is one thing in this episode that I'm not very negative towards the series as a whole, but this is a trope I hate in television and movies when the bad guy is about to kill someone and they don't because they hear a sound or something that happens. Like in reality, she would have just shot him immediately. (laughs) Like, There's no there's no reason for her to continuously wait. While I will argue in the later moment where we'll get to where she gets attacked by the little creepy clicker child, like maybe there's something in Kathleen's in the back of her mind where Michael is a good person and she's thinking about her brother and how he forgave uh, Henry that like maybe that's where her hesitation is in these moments. So there is that suspension of disbelief for me because they did set up Michael being such this, this such a forgiving great person. So maybe part of that is still in Kathleen when she has to pull the trigger, but like there I are these moments when, yeah, no, I know. I agree. Honest, I, I honestly think that the, the thing is like, I, I think you're right with, with the cliche of it, but if, yeah. if you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, I think it's more that Kathleen is savoring the moment because yeah. she is so sadistic. And at this sure. point, this is the only thing she really has to live for. It's not even leading the resistance anymore. It's about living in this moment of revenge. And, you know, the, the idea that after she does also this, very important to this series, uh, revenge and, and stuff too. So I think this, this yeah. episode will be very important in the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But after she does this, it's like, that's all she she'll have. She'll just kind of be an empty shell. And then the thing that she, if she were to live, that would probably fill her is finding new people to have um, confrontations with or turn into, you know, other Henry's, you know? And, and so I feel like her savoring that moment of him because realistically, like as soon as he starts walking out, like behind the car and coming into focus, she would have shot him. But yeah, that's, that's my, and that happens in villains in movies and TV all the time. Right. And that's like, in Marvel movies, in James Bond movies, in anything with the hero's journey kind of thing or any moment between a hero and a villain. It's like in real life, if they're that bad, they're just going to immediately kill the the good guy, right? There's yeah. no reason to monologue. There's no reason to savor the moment. Like they're just going to kill the person, right? Like the or minute just leave Henry, them on a table with a, a laser about to cut them. It's like, yeah, I'm not going like, to kill you. I'm going to let this I'll walk do it. into the room. <laughs> yeah. And then go Austin away. Powers like, actually addresses that. Seth Green's character yes. is like, aren't you just going to shoot him in the head? I'll, we'll grab some guns and we'll shoot Austin Powers in the head together. You know, have a father son moment. And that no, like, no, Scott. <laughs> No, you don't understand. You have to, you have to set it up and, you know, toy with them. In a show that doesn't have those tropes per se, when they build up a villain like Kathleen and in a world like this, like when you have those moments, it does take you out a little bit. So I would say that that's, uh, my biggest criticism of this episode as a whole, because this whole moment leading up into what is a great action set piece and and an, an intense one and probably the scariest or more most intense sequence of the show. Um, 
it just to get to that point, you had to do the kind of cliche villains about to kill the good guy, but then waits and slowly turns around as an explosion's happening or the sinkhole that you set up in the previous episode. Sure. Um, sinkhole de Mayo. Know, ha- yeah, it happens. It's just like, I don't, I don't buy that. She would have immediately shot him in the goddamn head and then turned around to see what was happening behind her, right? So anyways, uh, the car, the truck, Mr. Plow, um, falls into the sinkhole. Um, Did you mention the quote about the- Kathleen, though, uh, quickly, about uh, it ends how it ends? No, sorry. That's, that's a really we, good we quote this, because yeah. I feel like that line kind of sums up this episode as well a little bit where you know like it ends how it ends and you have to kind of accept that whether you like it or not um but yeah and then i wrote (laughs) click click boom (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty good uh so click click boom happens and then out of the ground comes uh basically a sea of runners clickers and for the first time, a bloater. Uh, we don't get the bloater run away right away, but is this absolutely chaotic, uh, intense uh, scene as a bunch of runners and clickers uh, pop out of the ground, like a horde of them. Uh, so everyone's scrambling. Uh, Joel keeps his eye on Ellie, uh, trying to protect her with the sniper rifle as she's running around. So he keeps shooting clickers and runners that are coming after Ellie because as we know from previous things, yes, yeah, she cannot be infected, but... Um, the infected don't just bite and leave you alone. Like sometimes they uh, tear you apart, which we will see uh, very literally in a moment with the bloater. Um, So at this moment, as everyone's scrambling, people are getting torn apart by clickers and runners. You see uh, Henry and Sam running around, Ellie running around. We then get that shot, which was from the trailer, which is uh, basically the bloater coming out of the ground the first bloater we get in this series um this uh game tommy or perry uh uh <laughs> is looking at the bloater with kathleen tells her to run uh the bloater then gets a hold of perry and rips his head off which is probably the most violent sequence even though it's like kind of out of focus in the background um in the entire show um but uh, just an absolutely brutal sequence with this bloater Um, A little cliched, I would say, as well. Like, that's another thing where you have the monster character that you haven't seen before, and you have to show what it's capable of. And usually it takes out its anger or aggression, or it eats the person or does something to the most kind of either despicable character or a character that's kind of been set up as like a number two. And it's almost like, that's kind of like, okay. Number like, two. Like when, when, when that's all breaking out, you would think at that point, Perry would be like, you're on your own. I'm out of yeah, here. I'm not this. dealing with this giant, you know, rigging bloater. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you there as well. And then, um, I like the child clicker that pops out here. Um, uh, she chases after Ellie scrambles and goes into crawls into the window of a car to try to hide. Uh, this is when we get um, uh, this child clicker that runs after Ellie and crawls into the car and does a very malignant s kind of like um, like kind of gymnastics routine. Um, 
basically climbs after Ellie. Ellie climbs out of the car. She sees that Sam and Henry is being attacked by clickers, runs over to them as Joel helps with the sniper rifle. Um, love this moment for fans of the game as well, because I think um, the way Ellie kills the clickers with her uh, switchblade, um, very reminiscent of how Ellie would help you in the game when she tries to attack clickers or other things like that. Um, with her switchblade. Uh, so immediately reminded me of that. Um, as they're starting to get away um, and Joel is shooting at them uh, for backup, Kathleen holds them all at gunpoint. Um, and then you get the, she very, you know, uh, is basically hesitant again, which I was like, ah, I still don't buy this. Why is she waiting? <laughs> like she would have shot them all like immediately, especially with all the chaos going on uh, behind them. Cause she wants that satisfaction before, it, you know, a clicker could get them or a runner could get them. So she, you know, she's holding them at gunpoint, doesn't shoot them. And then you have the kind of, again, very much like the bloater ripping off, um, you know, uh, Perry's head. You have the, okay. The, the payoff of the child clicker, pouncing on her like a frog or something and clever girl yeah like a raptor you know that's very that's perfect eric clever girl yeah um so then you get her and then she that's the end of kathleen so um interesting way to get rid of that character um back to yellow jackets for me (laughs) yeah again but a great guest appearance by Mm -hmm. uh melanie linsky just absolutely crushed it um the foursome then get away and they are now hiding out at a motel, uh, basically with Joel. Joel meets up with them. Joel, Ellie, Sam, Henry all go to a motel. And now this is very slim, similar again to what plays out in the game. Uh, very one-to-one for the most part. Um, for, except for a one moment, which I think is original to the show. So Ellie's reading a com- the, the comic with Sam, Henry and Joel make fun of the endure and survive line from the comic and say it's a bit redundant, um, which I think is very funny. Um, Joel then invites Henry and Sam to Wyoming with them and Henry accepts. Um, Henry goes into the room, tells Sam that he needs to get some sleep. Uh, I like this moment because uh, Sam goes into the other bed, lies down. Ellie, he gives like Ellie like a nod, like look after him kind of thing. But then I like, you know, very, they've played up Ellie to be, you know, it doesn't follow by anyone's rules and kind of does her own thing that immediately when Henry closes the door, she wakes up or goes over to Sam and says like, get back up. We'll continue reading the comic. Um, Sam looks kind of upset as they're reading the comic together. Uh, he writes on his notepad, um, toy that, uh, he asks Ellie if she ever gets scared. Um, they have a great combo through writing. Um, Sam says that Ellie never looks like she's scared. Um, she says she's scared all the time. She says that she's scared of ending up alone. Uh, she asks Sam what he's afraid of. Um, he then asks, if you turn it into a monster, is it still you inside? Um, and then he pulls up his, uh, you know, his pant leg to show that he was bitten on the ankle, which we know from earlier in the show with environmental storytelling, he has about 12 hours or so before he turns. Uh, so absolutely heartbreaking in this moment. We already kind of mentioned it earlier with the similar to the test reveal where in these big chaotic moments, we don't necessarily see a character get bit. 
um, and you know, fans of the game knew this is coming, knew this episode was coming, knows this moment is coming, but, um, just for a show that absolutely tears your heart out every week, like it's just another horrible, heartbreaking moment because you're starting to care about Henry and Sam, especially Sam, his story, this kid just can't cut a break, like catch a break kind of thing. Like Henry's doing everything to protect him. Um, and just you know in this big thing of of what kathleen's revenge it ends up just you know ultimately we'll get to it costing both of their lives so kathleen kind of does get what she wants but it's just kind of it's no one wins in this situation kathleen's dead perry's dead and then this horrible shit happens so um especially a kid who you know um doesn't have his hearing who got leukemia and now this happens it's just this brutal world that um God, this show sometimes uh, and the game. I, I dealt with this 10 years ago, Eric, and now I had to relive it. So <laughs> it's horrible. Um, so anyways, uh, Ellie cut me off at any moment, but Ellie and Sam continue the conversation. Um, Ellie immediately then shows Sam the bite that she has on her arm, uh, basically to show that like, Hey, like I I've also been bitten and I didn't turn. Um, I'm immune um, my blood is medicine, she says to him. So she cuts her hand open and then kind of puts her blood onto um, Sam's uh, wound, essentially saying, hoping that if she is immune, that her blood could go into his bloodstream and help him being immune. I really love this moment. It's not, I don't, it's not from the game. Um, and I just like this character moment from Ellie and, and shows that she's still very much a child and she doesn't understand her immunity and that she really does just want to help this kid. And that, you know, her thinking that just her blood alone could just help him. And she, I think she genuinely believes it in that moment. And it's very different than that moment with the child in the very first episode where we see that child get euthanized after he's has a bite mark on him from Fedra of them telling him basically just to kind of, you know, basically make him feel better before they kill him, where I feel like Ellie truly believes that she could help him uh, with her blood, which is why she doesn't tell anyone, why she stays awake with him, why she ultimately falls asleep, because she kind of thinks that her blood actually might help. So Sam does ask Ellie to stay awake with him, and she says she promises. Ellie gives him a hug. Um but she ultimately does doze off in uh, in a chair. Uh, she wakes up and sees Sam staring at the window. Uh, she goes over to him uh, and he is infected and attacks her. Um, basically, she, Sam chases Ellie out of the room and is on top of her. And we've already kind of mentioned it at the beginning of the show, but, um, you know, Joel runs over to get a gun. Henry stops Joel and shoots at Joel to make him stand back. Um, but then he immediately uh, shoots his own brother uh, in the head, killing him. Um, in this moment, Henry's then processing and uh, is horrified with what he's done. Uh, he points the gun at Joel, basically saying it's his fault, um, and then points the gun at his head and um, shoots himself and, and kills himself. Um, which is where the game kind of cuts and 
uh, I'm surprised we got an extra scene here because the game kind of cuts there just with Ellie's kind of scream and them going, no, 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 no. And then uh, we do get another scene here afterwards of them burying uh, their bodies. Like it does cut to them, um, which I think is ultimately to get to this moment with Ellie uh, where Joel is burying their bodies. Ellie um, has the Etch-A-Sketch kind of thing. Uh, she writes, I'm sorry on it and puts it on uh, Sam's grave. Uh, Joel looks pretty distraught. Um, Ellie just says, which way do we need to go or which way is West? And then Joel points in a direction and Ellie just kind of walks off defeated. And then Joel follows. Um, and I forget the song that plays in the credits, but fuel um, to fire by uh, yeah. Agnes Obel. Thank you. And that is episode five of the last of us. Um, a downer of an ending, especially with these, like I said, these characters that we've, um, I think really loved at the end of or this whole episode, I guess it's again, a Bill and Frank thing where we learn about their stories and their, ultimately their downfall in, in the same episode. But, um, yeah, just, uh, an intense and sad ending quite uh, again. <laughs> yeah. It kind of has like a, of mice and men kind of quality to it where there's this weird hope where, you know, after they've left Kansas city or they're, they're about to leave Kansas city, where you know they decide like oh let's all kind of team up together and it reminds you of the characters you know um in john steinbeck's novel where you have these two main characters coming into this farm and working on the farm and saving up enough money to start their own uh plot of land and live off the land and then one of the other older kind of uh sort of veteran um hands kind of is like oh can i come in on this and do this and then ultimately in the end uh, one of the characters has to shoot the other in a form of mercy, but at the same time, it's like, well, the dream is gone after this. So, um, you know, like it's, it's, it is disheartening and um, yeah, you're kind of, again, like, you know, we, we talked about this with the Ant-Man review. It's like, I don't know if I would call the last of us, entertaining i don't think that's the right <laughs> yeah. word for a show like this even though it is very well made engaging and thoughtful and and you know again considering characters over plot but with this it's just like you do wonder like what category do you put this in in terms of of how you watch something like like this it's like it's not you know, disposable entertainment. It's not meant to be fun per se. I mean, there are action sequences and, and, and suspense and moments that are thrilling, but when you get a sequence like this, or even in episode three, you begin to wonder how do you, how do you categorize this form of, of um, input, you know, and what you're watching? Um, and this, this comes up, I think a lot when like, even you're, you're watching, you know, a war movie that's based yeah. on like Any a true drama story. or dark yeah. drama, like stuff like that. Like I, I get like, it's just how you want, you, you utilize filmmaking, television, movies, books, 
for different reasons, right? Sometimes it's escapism, sometimes it's entertaining entertainment, sometimes it's just like I don't I can't, it's hard for me to even say why I love this story and the game so much because it is such a, a downer at times, but it is hopeful at moments too and I think it's fulfilling. I guess that's it, right? Like I think the storylines and the and the characters are are rich and and engrossing and and you know, uh, even though the endings of these episodes tend to be downers and things like that. But I am glad for the time I spent with Henry and Sam and learned about their story and how Henry cared about Sam and how, again, once you see the full thing of, of how it, you know, fuels Joel's story and Ellie's story and things like that and how it all comes together. It's not necessarily fun. Like you said, uh, uh, I mean, the game is supposed to be fun because there's gameplay and things like that's supposed to be entertaining. Well, there's an interactive engaging. quality to it, right? Yeah. But when you're watching it, it is like, you know, why do you watch it? Yeah. Like, you know, a very horrific, you know, war movie or just, uh, you know, a, a disturbing horror movie or, or something like that. Like, especially um, with television, I think as well, yeah. right? Like television, there, 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 there's a thing where I think television is, is kind of a, a place where it's supposed to kind of be, you know, disposable entertainment to a certain extent. And then also you're watching something that is supposed to take your mind off of, other things sure. where the last of us and even chernobyl you know you you, you watch those shows yeah. and they are so well made and so well written and the characters are incredible and everything is 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 engaging but at the same time like you walk away from it and you're not feeling good <laughs> you're not feeling like you know, you you feel appreciative that this is being. You feel made. something, but that's I think yeah. maybe it, right? Like, is is you definitely there's emotion in the show, and you definitely feel something as you're watching it because it's so well made and you care about the characters. But yeah, it's not necessarily like Sunday nights can't like I know people can't wait for the next episode because I think it's great storytelling and great and very very well made but it's not necessarily like you know people said like right before this was white lotus right and sure it has some darker stuff in it and it's about you know sex and relationships and stuff like that but it is kind of that sexy kind of pulpy kind of fun thing of it even though it involves murder and, and a bunch of shitty rich people but like you kind of got excited to watch that each week because it had comedic elements and things like that and the theme song was fun and upbeat and and then you come to their next show and i guess game of thrones is a bit like that too where like nothing good happens <laughs> it's just like for some reason you just want to watch these people go through horrible things each week and you don't necessarily can't put your finger on why, but it's very well done. So you're just like, you want to know what happens and you want to cheer for the characters. Or you want something good to happen to them or something good to, um, I don't know, but yeah, it's definitely not like feel good TV every Sunday. It's like, all right, ready to be depressed. Let's go watch an hour of the last of us this Sunday. So, um, you know, ultimately, I think it's worth it for someone who's played the game and part part two is even more brutal. So like it's just uh, and even probably more depressing, but like it's just uh, I don't know what's so compelling about it. But um, I think when you envision yourself in this world and what you would do and like we talked about, like putting yourself in these characters shoes and talking about how would you do like, go through a situation? Is this person a good guy or a bad guy? Um 
what is the right thing to do? Like those conversations I think are so interesting and, and compelling. That's what I think people, why this show is as popular as it is. And I can't believe how popular it is, like where it's being referenced, how many people are watching it. Like it's, uh, I never even thought it would be as big as it, it is because HBO shows, yes, they have their flagship stuff, but this is up there with game of thrones of being their most popular thing ever right and i guess sopranos and things like that as well yeah the the game was very popular sold millions of copies but um it's just i never it again it goes back to me gaming is still it's this gigantic thing but still feels weirdly niche so when you see last of us on billboards and people talking about the last of us that I would never thought I'd hear talk about the last of us. Right. And that's not, no offense to those people. It's just like, it was this horror drama video game that I played that was yes, very popular with gamers, but like hearing my mom every week message me about last of us, which is something I always wanted hearing you get into. So into it, my wife Nevis gets so into it. Who's heard me talk about it week after week for 10 years basically um and then just other people co-workers or friends or just people on twitter that like didn't even know this thing existed before the tv show and now are like like reacting to it every sunday night in the same way i played it 10 years ago is amazing so um yeah, yeah know, it's, it's, it's appointment television but, but it's it, yeah. but it's such a weird thing where like it leaves you so De- melancholy <laughs> depressed like yeah. it, it's such a and, and not that like those feelings shouldn't be embraced or 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 yeah the narrative isn't it, it's telling the story it's supposed to and and it's not trying to make it anything more accessible and trying to be upbeat or what have you and there's a lot of great no, this is a bleak world that they live in films and television but it's just an interesting sort of conversation to have and like what category of you know, viewing, do you watch something like this again, especially for television where a lot of TV, even something you mentioned, Game of Thrones, even something like The Sopranos, where you're kind of living or White Lotus, you're living vicariously sure. through the characters and indulging yeah. in sort of the things that, you know, the are wrong. The, the, yeah, but, you but it's kind of see people fun do to do so. There's nothing yeah. that you want to indulge in and live no. vicariously <laughs> through in this other than maybe yeah. eating the chef Boyardee. It, it's like, you're, you're watching this thing and you're kind of like, oh, I am so happy that this is not where we are right now. But I'm also really nervous that we could be coming to yeah. this kind of situation given where we are with global warming and, and things like that. And not necessarily a, a fungal outbreak, but just something. UFO will, sightings. And yeah, Canadian and UFO plastic, sightings. Plastic factories blowing up and training. Yeah. It's all it's weird anyways uh thank you all for uh listening or watching especially if you did this um right away right before the newest episode of the last of us because it is a super sunday uh yeah because this episode has Um, been so delayed right that i feel like a lot of people probably we we do appreciate maybe you'll skip this one but if you did listen or watch we really do appreciate it um if you are listening to this episode six should be up or should be up very, very soon, depending on when you're listening to it, it'll be up at our normal time, which is Sundays, 10 PM Eastern, right after the newest episode of the last of us. This is a, just because of vacations and different health things, we had to kind of push this episode. So we're giving you a double episode on Sunday. Um, but then we'll be back every Sunday, like I said, 10 PM Eastern, right after the newest episode of the last of us. So that begins again with episode six kin 
which is tonight, February 19th, if you're listening to this right away. Um, and if you are, thank you. You're the best. Uh, one-stop shop for everything. Head over to Untitled underscore movies on Letterboxd. We do two other shows called the Untitled Movie Podcast and Untitled Movie Reviews. Uh, we have an Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania review up on Untitled Movie Reviews. Spoiler free if you wanted to go check that out. Uh, our newest episode of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Um, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff, including all the Super Bowl trailers and, and different things. Uh, so go check that out as well. Um, but as always, my name is Matt Roybeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and follow me on all those social medias at Matt Roybeck. And I'm Eric Barchin. You can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on all the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Click, click, boom.